Hey everybody, thanks for joining me. I hope your weekend is going well. It's good to have you here. All right, so um, today we'll talk about a few things. I want to start with the latest social issue in the U.S. that Russia is responsible for and has exploited for its own evil ends. And this comes via the New York Times. It's a headline today. This was the front of the New York Times today. It says this. How Russian trolls helped keep the Women's March out of lockstep. As American feminists came together in 2007 to protest Donald Trump, Russia's disinformation machine set about deepening the divides among them. So if you remember this, you know, the Women's March was like one of the first major acts of, or it was the first major act of resistance toward Trump because on his first day, on his first day in office, on Inauguration Day, massive Women's March in Washington, D.C., but the Women's March had problems among its leadership, uh, particularly coming under attack from um, the pro-Israel lobby because of uh, the involvement of Linda Sarsour and Tamika Mallory, which we can get more into. But the point is, you know, f- from the start, there was a lot of internal division in the Women's March. And what the New York Times is saying today is that really it was Russian bots that played an outsized role in fueling the controversy around the Women's March. But before we go more into this article... Uh, Let me just, as a reminder, point out that this is not the first time we've seen Russian bots given really mystical powers, the the ability to fuel tension, so chaos in the U.S. And there's so many examples where Russia is blamed for a domestic U.S. issue. I mean, the most famous uh, and consequential of such cases being the election of Donald Trump itself. But there's other things as well. So, for example, during George Floyd, the George Floyd protests, in the summer of 2020, this is Susan Rice, who's now a Biden administration official, was a top official under Obama, saying that um, the protests are somehow out of the Russian playbook. Those are her actual words. Let's hear it. Who have come to try to hijack those protests and turn them into something very different. Uh, and they are probably also, I would bet, based on my experience, I'm not reading the intelligence uh, today uh, or these days, but based on my experience, this is right out of the Russian playbook as well. But we can't allow the extremists, the foreign actors to distract from the real problems we have in this country that are longstanding, centuries old, and need to be addressed responsibly by new leadership. All right, so that's Susan Rice. Um, Somehow the George Floyd protests are out of the Russian playbook, she says. Uh, with a straight face on cable television. And uh, here's another case where Russian bots, again, somehow with their magical powers, uh, fueled a, uh, you know, endemic U.S. issue in the U.S. And this comes via Kamala Harris uh, speaking on The Breakfast Club, where she talked about the role of Russian bots in the Colin Kaepernick controversy. When Colin Kaepernick refused to stand for the national anthem, uh, in the NFL, uh, that became a big controversy. And this is Kamala's theory about that and how that began. So that's what they start to do, right? That's what they start to do. They did it then, they will do it now. You know, people have said, if you look at, for example, the whole, remember the whole, the heat that ended up around the bend the knee and Colin Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. Many smart people have said it actually was not a thing. Mm-hmm. The Russian bots started taking that on. Really? Yes. You feel like you're being targeted by Russian bots now? Well, we already know we are. Yeah. 
is the Russian, are the Russian bots in the room with you right now? I mean, that's basically what Kamala was asked. And she said, yes, yes. So yes, she's being targeted by Russian bots. Everybody's being targeted by Russian bots. We're being invaded by Russian bots. And um, the latest uh, target of the Russian bots, we learned from the New York Times today, is uh, the Women's March. And the article is, you know, typical of Russiagate uh articles there's no evidence so what they attribute to russian bots there's no actual evidence that these were russian bots but even if they, even if they were russian bots the numbers are so small so for example there's a reference to tweets uh on twitter uh from known russian bots uh that are said to have mentioned uh, linda sarsour who was one of the organizers one of the organizers of the women's march so the time says this um 152 different Russian accounts produced material about Linda Sarsour. Public archives of Twitter accounts known to be Russian contain 2,642 tweets about Ms. Sarsour, many of which found large audiences. So 2,642 tweets. Let's assume all those came from Russian bots, okay? Do you think 2,642 tweets about anyone can make any difference whatsoever to anything? I mean, it's such a relatively uh, minor number when you can think about how many tweets we all, if you're on Twitter, you see per day and, and that, you know, that, that go out about certain issues. It's such a, a small amount. And it turns out the, that this analysis of the role of Russian bots in, uh, in inflaming tensions around the Women's March, it comes from something called Advanced Democracy Inc., which I hadn't heard of before, because there's so many different um, outfits all of them, or most of them based in Silicon Valley or the suburbs of Virginia, that are now making a lot of money from government contracts and grants from billionaire foundations to counter what's called disinformation, especially Russian disinformation. So advanced democracy, uh, with, with, which the Times describes as a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that conducts public interest research and investigation. So I looked up what this firm is, Advanced Democracy, Inc., it turns out they recently got a grant from uh, the Packard Foundation, which is founded by one of the uh, uh, executives of Hewlett Packard, a billionaire. And they recently got a grant uh, for $150,000 for this, uh, quote, for Ukraine rapid response program to support media reporting, advance accountability actions, inform policymakers, and counter Russian disinformation in the context of the war in Ukraine. So basically, in short, advanced democracy is being paid to do, uh, I think we can call pro-proxy war propaganda, uh, while acting supposedly in the name of countering propaganda. Um, and it's run by someone called Daniel Jones, who actually is a uh, has done some noble work. He was the former Senate staffer who basically did that long report on the CIA's torture program while working for Dianne Feinstein. And there's a great movie about him uh, called The Report. Um, which you know shows how the CIA tried to stop his work and even spied on him as he did it. But since leaving the Senate, uh, Jones has taken on a very lucrative uh, job assignments, uh, basically running foundations that get a lot of money from Democratic donors. And he was a key was uh, he played a key role in RussiaGate, where in fact, after uh, the 2016 election, uh, they his his group even hired Christopher Steele the author of the Steele dossier, to do consulting. Pay them more than a quarter of a million dollars, I think. And he's done this because he's gotten a lot of money for this kind of work. So 
you know, uh, while I respect the work that Daniel Jones did exposing the torture program, since 2016, you can say that he's taken on partisan uh, work. And that is, and certainly work that advances the narrative about uh, Russian meddling being a seismic threat to, to U.S. politics. Uh, and so that's the source for the story and the methodology that they use to identify Russian bots uh, that they use to, um, uh, the, in terms of what tweets actually were successful and inflammatory, we they don't really show us except for a few examples. And again, we don't know uh, even the basis for making the attribution of these bots to Russia. But the point is overall, even if all these bots were from Russia, the idea that Russian bots played a role in a divisive social issue such as the Women's March is such a joke. And we know, actually, if we want to talk about foreign actors playing a role in the Women's March, we know what they are. And that was pro-Israel organizations that relentlessly attacked Linda Sarsour, one of the Women's March organizers, and tried to have her ousted, which ultimately was successful. That's the foreign actor, if we really care about foreign actors, um, that was successful here. But the problem is that doesn't play well into the current fashionable narrative of blaming Russia for everything. So, in fact, blaming Russia... Uh, for this, not only you know serves the long-standing Russia Gate goal of uh, blaming Russia for all our domestic problems and thus encouraging a militaristic policy towards Russia as a result, but also it helps let Israel off the hook because Israel is a key U.S. ally and both political parties support that, so that works for everybody. And uh, look, you know, I'm not going to go through the article, but there's just so many funny lines. Um, so again, the power that Russian bots are are given in our culture is just something. Um, quite, quite extraordinary. So there's a, there's a rabbi quoted uh, who was uh, around the Women's March and was involved in some of the disputes and, you know, was there for some of the rifts. And she says this, there is so much Jewish pain here. Those Russian bots were poking at that pain. Bots poking at pain? I mean, come on, people. It's just, it's just such a, a joke. Like, these are not... Um, Russian bots are not uh, magical creatures. Uh, they're just bots on Twitter uh, that nobody pays attention to. Uh, and the way they've been given this mythical status, really, it's, you know, it, it, it's a projection. Because who are the real trolls here? It's the Russiagate trolls who have bombarded the U.S. public for six years with all these claims that Russian bots and trolls are responsible for all U.S. problems. And they produce these long articles, like in the New York Times, to convince people of that. That is the actual disinformation campaign here. And it serves a very cynical end. It basically uh, uh, forecloses the possibility of genuine introspection about domestic U.S. problems. So, for example, uh, if you cared really about the fractures of the Women's March, you'd look at the dynamics that happened there. But instead, we're supposed to look instead and at, at Russia and blame them for everything. And, you know, there's a sad irony here because... Um, the Women's March, as I mentioned, was like a when it happened, it was like an early sign that there was going to be grassroots pressure against Trump. Right. And no matter like no matter what you thought about the Women's March, you know, people criticized it for whatever reason. But I at least thought it was a sign that already there was going to be grassroots organizing against Trump, which I think I thought was a very good thing. And also at the time you had the protest against the Muslim ban. Right. But what happened right after that? Well, Russiagate came along and all of a sudden the way to resist Trump. Uh, became believing in these insane conspiracy theories that he was a Russian asset and believing that Robert Mueller w was going to validate them 
and thus bring an end to Trump's presidency. And all you could do was be passive, watch MSNBC, uh, wait for the next Mueller filing in court, and everything was gonna was going to uh, be taken care of. It was a completely anti-democratic fixation that it totally displaced not only the issues that matter, but also displaced the role of people in participating in politics. So no more big Women's March protests. Instead, let's just watch MSNBC and CNN, listen to these former intelligence officials tell us how great the FBI is and they're going to take care of everything. And that's the answer. So the irony here of the Women's March, sort of um, the, the grassroots sentiment that it expressed the being uh, displaced and weakened by Russiagate to have now Russiagate propaganda being used against the Women's March so many years later is just a sad irony. And uh, yeah, I mean, we can talk more about it, but that's my rant about that. And I will uh, speak more in a bit about the Ukraine proxy war, but let's open it up to some calls. Okay. Tammy, you are first. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah. Hi there, how's it going? Good. Great. Um, yeah, thank you for your work on this. I um, I didn't know about this article and I'm glad you, glad you drew our attention to it because uh, it's just, it, I, I really struggle with this because like I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm a proud feminist um, and there's like a real, you know, cause there and I just feel like this kind of stuff um, not only like trivializes it but also um, I don't know it's like an insult like this is <laughs> I just I find it so insulting and it reminds me of um, uh, Christopher Mott's work Imperium if you're aware of that work um, I've heard of that, that whole... uh, Ma- yeah I've heard of that Max Blumenthal did an interview I think with him um, about yeah. that recently. yeah yeah and it's it's this sort of you know um, just like really cynical link between um, the the kind of cultural moment or interest in particular types of identity politics and um, the you know the really uh, blatant kind of warmongering agenda of um, of the you know the big Western Empire led by the U.S. and this is just like for me in that same spectrum of like gross cynicism playing on people's interests in things like feminism and just totally exploiting them and turning them into something like twisting them into something um yeah that isn't actually anything to do with the feminist cause yes and you know the sad thing is so linda sarsour who was one of the organizers of the women's march uh, you know i have a lot i have my disagreements with her but i have sympathy for her because she's been like relentlessly smeared for being like a a vocal uh, Palestinian organizer wearing hijab. Okay, so she faces a lot of crazy attacks, and she faced a lot of attacks, you know, as being being organizer of the Women's March. And now she's being told by the New York Times that um, Russian bots were, you know, fueling uh, the acrimony that she got, and she's going along with it. But really, you know, the people who attacked her were like organized uh, pro-Israel groups that, you know, like waged like serious campaigns that like took planning and strategizing to get her fired from positions and uh, get her, get her banned from speaking. And now it's to their benefit to see some blame displaced onto these mythical Russian bots 
And she's going along with it. You know, she's going along with it. She hasn't called it out. And I think that's, um, I, I, that's too bad because it, it, that's actually helping the people who really cynically and, um, uh, and dishonestly smeared her, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just, I, and it's just, it's so typical right now, like that the New York times is the, ah, like the medium for communicating this kind of stuff. Cause they, you know, they know their readership and they know um, the kinds of ways that this would, that this, um, the combining of these two topics would attract people. It just really, it is really just so cynical and gross. Um, Just before I um, give room for other callers, I wanted to also give a little bit of a plug that um, yesterday in Melbourne, I attended um, a Truth Not War rally um, that was uh, a group of, um, people, including the Anti-Orcus Coalition, um, as well as uh, Free Assange um, or Melbourne for Assange uh, group and a few other like anti-nuclear and um, pro-peace groups um, and Extinction Rebellion. And we had a little rally in the centre of the city and we then marched down to the British consulate and sort of, um, you know, sang and chanted and yelled uh, about freeing Assange outside the British consulate. And, um, you know, we're going to keep doing things like that. We have another one on October the 8th, uh, which is on the same day as I think it's going to be a coordinated one, a global one with, um, a lot of other places. And it's going to be yes, like, a, that's... um, ha- human chain. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's the day of the human chain outside the British parliament. Yes, exactly. So we're going to participate in that as well. And, um, I would just really encourage everybody to, go if there's something happening in your city or area because we need lots of uh pressure for this it was it was a small protest there weren't that many people but it was a strong one you know it was a it was a a good one (laughs) and um there there did seem to be some broad support from passers-by which is nice because that doesn't always happen when you're doing rallies and disrupting things on the street so yeah i just want to encourage anyone to get out there if they can awesome thank you tammy thank you Okay. Car- oh, what's up, Aaron? I'm a big fan. I've been trying to talk to you for a while. So it's an honor to get to talk to you. Um, first, I just wanted to say I am uh, uh, Putin's buddy. You know, I'm drinking my good uh, uh, vodka right now from Russia. Okay. And <laughs> okay. Uh, no, but seriously, uh, I wanted to make you laugh. So I, so I first found out about you on uh, uh, Aggressive Progressives, you know, many, from many years ago. And um, you're probably going to laugh at this, at least inside. But so, like, before I found you and, like, Chris Hedges and Ronnie Cock and stuff like that, I really thought that uh, TYT and Jenk uh, uh, Uger were, like, experts on foreign policy. You know, this is back in high school and college. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so, you know, yeah, you, you're not alone with that one. I, I think, look, I, I think... TYT introduced many people to progressive politics, and I think um, then they changed, and I, they might have changed exactly when they got $20 million from Jeffrey Katzenberg. I think those two might have been related, but I don't know. I, I, I never followed them too closely. Now, so my question is, because I remember, like, during, um, like, the whole Trump administration, like, pretty much, like, all the activist energy was towards, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Russiagate and things like that, and it was mostly substance-free for the most part, you know, with some exceptions, like you and others. Um, so my question is for you, is that like, because it was obvious like at, at a certain, like after a while that like that all this uh, hysteria about uh, Russiagate collusion was clearly yeah. helping Trump. 
Yeah. So do you think that like the people that were pushing it like knew that they were helping Trump and like didn't care? Or do you think that like like people like Rachel Maddow were like were so delusional that they thought they were like, you know, like like uh like on the way to like uh, destroying Trump? You know, I don't know what goes on in their minds. I'm sure they convinced themselves that this was all going to work out, but you know, people have the capacity to convince themselves of anything if they feel it's in their interest, you know. And the, and the fact is this was insanely profitable for outlets like MSNBC and great for Democrats who didn't want to take responsibility for the legacy of Hillary Clinton in her campaign. But they, I mean, surely there must have been some awareness. And I certainly, I pointed it out constantly. Uh, and it just completely fell on deaf ears. People didn't want to hear it. They were, they were just too attached to the narrative. And um, they were willing to cause a lot of damage to, I think, the world to hold on to it. Because look at, look at Russiagate brought us now. I mean, it, it helped set the stage for the current crisis we're in now with Ukraine. And, they, and, you know, and you know, people like Stephen F. Cohen were warning. I mean, his warnings were centered on just what a, how dangerous Russiagate was for the world. That it was fueling tensions between the world's top two nuclear powers. It was criminalizing diplomacy. And it was fueling the war in Ukraine. Um, and that also fell on deaf ears. So all of our warnings, yeah, fell on deaf ears. And what they actually knew, I mean, that's it's a good question. I, I just don't claim to know what goes on in people's heads. Do you think some members in the uh, uh, ruling class are fine with like nuclear war? Because I'm guessing like all they all have like bunkers or whatever and like food that can last for years or you know at least months. Yeah, I'm sure there are some people who think, well, if it really goes down, I'll be fine. Um, but I think others are just so driven by the need for uh, to to enforce U.S. hegemony that they just can't process the real dangers that their, their, their minds just aren't open. It just aren't open to it, you know? So yeah, I'm sure there are some people who, who actually, who like, who are, who, who think, yeah, well, like me and my family will, will be okay. We'll go to a bunker or something, but others, I think just, it doesn't cross their mind because they're so driven by just the one goal of weakening Russia and enforcing U S dominance. Okay. Yeah. Thanks uh, for letting me know. And um, I actually watch your, uh, 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 Russiagate debunking videos uh, all the time on YouTube, so I always have fun watching those. But um, so last thing I wanted to say was, so in regards to the uh, uh, Susan Rice comment, uh, Susan Rice comment on uh, Black Lives Matter protests, things yeah. like that, like why isn't like stuff like that like supposed to be like super racist? Because what she's pretty much saying is that like 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 the Black Lives Matter protesters are so dumb that that they that they can only be pushed to protest by like Russia or like some other external force. It's so racist. I mean, the entire premise of Russiagate is totally contemptuous to uh, average citizens, uh, including black people, because it presupposes that citizens, uh, in this case, black people, are so malleable that some dumb tweets and memes on social media can dupe them into doing anything, you know, can to rioting or not voting for Hillary Clinton. I mean, that Hillary Clinton like literally said that Russian bots are why she lost in Michigan because uh, they convinced black voters not to vote for her. I mean, it's so insanely racist, but it's tolerated because it serves the Democratic Party agenda um, and, and other agendas, too. Uh, but that's how much these people care about Black Lives Matter. They're willing to embrace the most like racist and moronic theories about the power of Russian bots uh, just to justify their own position. It's pretty stunning.
Yeah, and like you said, it was sad that they were more protest about uh, Russiagate than uh, tax cuts in uh, 2017 and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, thanks for talking to me. Uh, pleasure. It was uh, Thank you. Fun. Thank thanks. you, yeah. And the thing I point out is, um, the thing that I point out is that there were bigger protests to save Jeff Sessions' job uh, after he was fired by Trump than there were to, say, protest Trump's tax cuts or to protest Trump's uh, pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, you know, I remember it was right after, it was the day after the midterms, protests across the country organized by liberal groups like Move On to save the job of Jeff Sessions. That's what liberals were rallying for in the Trump era, to save the job of Jeff Sessions because the idea was that his firing meant that Robert Mueller was going to be fired too, which of course did not prove to be the case because Robert Mueller didn't, didn't, didn't need to be fired. His investigation was a, a farce. So he did the job. Uh, he, he did the job for Trump just fine. Okay, uh, Ivan. Uh, hey, Aaron. Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Uh, again, thanks, man, for having me. Big fan, like I guess most of the crew. Uh, what I wanted to ask you um, or talk about is the topic, I think, cl cl closely related to what you were talking about, like um, the whole Russia gate, Russian bot uh, conspiracy coming from the mainstream media is um, as a Russian person, I'm, you know, I feel like in, in a way uh, I should feel proud for how the U.S. media portrays the Russians as so cunning, you know, making the president of U.S. going and disappear. But um, during the current crisis, what I find actually interesting is that there's actually an active troll farm and bot farm, which is connected to a lot of influencers, but not on Russian side, but on the Western side. What I'm talking about is, uh, I don't know if you know about it, it's like a NAFA, it's called. It's like the NATO influencers on Twitter and other social media, which are uh, proponing a lot of pro-Ukrainian messages and myths. Uh, and like um, what I was you know, wondering is that, is anyone seeing the sort of like, in my view, a hypocrisy of that? And do you yourself knows like who is sort of like in charge of that and people who connected to that? Because... Uh, a lot of like real people with blue check marks are, you know, changing their avatars to this meme dog, and they're yeah. <laughs> uh, using a lot of stories that are later to be found as fake. Uh, but mm -hmm. they're like pushing the anti-Russian narrative, and it's like amazing because this is like real, I don't know, Ukraine Gate, I guess you can call it or whatever, and yeah. no one seems to care. Yeah, uh, in fact, uh, Facebook or Twitter, or somebody recently shut down a bunch of accounts that they said were part of a. Uh, U.S. government propaganda campaign that was aimed to promote the U.S. narrative in the proxy war. And nobody paid attention because, you know, we're not supposed to care about stuff like that. And, and my main point is that, I mean, it, it speaks to how, I mean, whereas when Russian bots are allegedly, do, allegedly, I say, because I'm not convinced that all these cases of alleged Russian bot activity are actually Russian. But anyway, putting that aside, my point is, you know, the, the, the um, power of these campaigns gets way overblown. And in the case of Russiagate, it was used to say that this influenced the outcome of the election, that literally that's why Hillary Clinton lost because of Russian bots. And I just don't think bots, no matter what side they're on, whether pro-NATO or not, have that kind of power. I mean, they can steer some conversations online, but the way, like the powers that Russian bots have granted are just like, they're mystical. They're able to 
sow chaos and decide elections. But yeah, so there is a NAFO campaign. I've seen it. Um, I've seen it in my tweets and it's annoying because it's just a lot of bots uh, flooding your mentions. But, you know, um, I just ignore it, you know, and and uh, but I, otherwise I haven't looked into it. I don't know who's behind it and, uh, you know, how much money has been has been invested in it, but it, it doesn't surprise me at all. I know what you mean, but um, in general, and I, I, I've read, I think, um, you correct me if I'm wrong, but the Miller investigation proved that, like, like proved, proved, uh, quote unquote, that Russian boats, like, were using $200,000 worth of, uh, like, boat farms or something, which is, like, a very small amount, considering the figure, how much the money. Figure, the, like, the figure is about $100,000 over seven years, or, or, like, a, over a five-year period. And of the of that forty six thousand dollars was spent before the election. Uh, of that forty six thousand, most of that money was during the primaries, so not even during the twenty sixteen election. And you look at the content um, of these of of these uh, Russian trolls and bots, and the the studies commissioned by the U.S. Senate say explicitly that only a small percentage actually dealt with the election. Most of these memes are about, it was just clickbait. It was just clickbait. Yeah, about, Satan wants you to masturbate or something exactly, like that. If exactly, I remember correctly. exactly. It was just standard clickbait. And this is supposedly the content that uh, amounts to uh, a digital 9-11 or a cyber Pearl Harbor, as it was described by prominent Democrats. It's so ridiculous how much tension this got. But do you do you feel like that sometimes because I, I like I saw recently a couple of days ago there was example again pushed by what I saw on Twitter as enough a thing when in Paris I think there was two Ukrainian ladies who were bitten and a lot of enough um, Twitter accounts pushed the narrative like they were bitten by a Russian guy uh, and that um, you know Europe should ban all visas for Russians because, you know, they're all animals, blah, blah, blah. And then a day ago, it turned out that the guy who actually beat the Ukrainian ladies were, were Ukrainian. So mm. again, I, I've looked Twitter, but of course, what I what I tried to find in the search were only searches by the prominent accounts, by blue check marks, who never, you know, said, oh, I was wrong, the story is bad. They were all saying like, you know, oh, Russians are animals, we need to ban the visas, ban the visas. So in hmm. general, I think that kind of works because it you does, just yeah. post something and then you don't really reflect on, on the reality of the thing. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't see that. So if you want to post a link to that or something, if you can, in the chat so we can all, we, we can all check it out. But that's, that's, a, that's a story where, yeah. you know, of actual disinformation being spread, but it's the right kind of disinformation. So, you know, so, so we don't care here in the West. Um, Ivan, thank you for the call. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. Ian. Hello? Heather. Oh, okay. Crashed with it. Hey, that's what are you going to do? Well, we can hear you now. All right, good. Wow, yeah, this story's crazy. They're still trying to make Russia Russiagate a thing. I can't believe it. And um, I, I just, it's nuts because, yeah, like you said, Linda Sarsour, she's totally um, buying into this and like 
Oh yeah, the rush to think that I read a quote. She said to think that Russia is going to use my identity is so much more sinister than uh just it being right-wing Americans and Israel supporters. I'm like this it's just nuts. So I mean uh yeah, we can talk about Russia gate and nauseum, but I just <laughs> I just want to say like how pathetic it is that this is the uh She's some kind of like obviously she is Palestinian, but this she's like heralded as some kind of big fighter for Palestinian rights and all this and that, which I guess she is. But she, how are you a big fighter when you make a coalition with a bunch of Zionists, which is what you do because you promote Joe Biden? And the reason I saw her Instagram post is because uh, my representative Talib shared it, who's also Palestinian, high profile, and. She shared a picture of herself with Joe Biden, arch Zionist, the other day on Air Force One. So I'm like, if these are your fighters, I mean, it's really pathetic. Sorry, I just had to say that. Yeah, you know, and and the irony of her comment where she's saying that, you know, how dare these Russian bots like use me, exploit my identity. It's Russiagate trolls and disinformation actors that are exploiting her identity. And unfortunately, she's catering to it. That's the sad thing. And look. I have sympathy for anyone who's been relentlessly smeared as she has. So when this happens, this is an opportunity to actually, um, you know, gain some support. Because if you go along with the Russiagate narrative, you're going to attract a lot of liberal supporters. And you're kind of kind of if if your reputation has suffered at all in liberal eyes, in liberal circles, you know, if you go along with this, you will see benefits. You'll be welcomed back into the fold. So I can understand the allure of that. But the problem is that it's false. It's phony. And it actually props up a really, not only stupid, but dangerous narrative, which encourages uh, confrontation with Russia and blames Russia for, you know, what are inherently American dysfunctions. And um, it also, as we talked about earlier, lets off the hook the pro-Israel forces who relentlessly attacked her. You know, she's saying that what Russian bots did was even worse. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's, this is, this actually letting off her actual attackers off the hook and it's uh there's something very sad about that yeah these um progressives they're the new uh neocons really i mean just be honest with you <laughs> yeah well look it's it's not a good time you know like and russiagate as has been a major part of it it's totally helped shift the left more towards the center and the center right because what did it do it cemented Russia as being our number one geopolitical foe, as Mitt Romney really wanted everyone to believe back when Obama mocked him. You know, m- remember like when Obama said to Romney, the 1980s called, they want their foreign policy back after Russia, after Romney called Russia our top geopolitical foe. That was in 2012, right, in the election then. And what happens four years later? Basically, like the Democrats go to Mitt Romney and say, you were right, and we owe you an apology. And now we're going to adopt your worldview and make it the centerpiece of ours. And uh, that's meant, you know, um, not only criminalizing diplomacy with Russia, but also worshiping the FBI, worshiping the CIA. And there's no Democrats right now in Congress willing to stand up to that. All of them have gone along with Russiagate. And that's why all of them voted to fund the Ukraine proxy war, uh, including the squad, which to me is just like, it remains uh, something I, I can't get my head around. It's so mind blowing. It's, 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 and it's, uh, it's a major part of why we're in such a bad situation right now with Ukraine is because there's no organized forces politically in Congress willing to speak out in favor of diplomacy. Nothing. 
There's, there's no calls even right now for diplomacy. And that's why, and I'll have a new article about this uh, this week on my Substack. just the U.S. is planning openly for a very long proxy war because that's, there's no one in Congress right now to try to push them in a different direction. Okay. Sorry for the mini rant. All right. Iggy. point of view what's your thoughts on the following when i read a lot of the things that you're talking about you know the assertions about um russiagate or bots or whatever the consistent format of how those claims are presented are by pure journalistic assertion whether that's the journo or whether that's kamala harris they, they make all of these people assert something is happening and they yep. never ever provide proof Yes. Right. I mean, even people <laughs> who claim to be investigative journalists covering this never provide proof. No. Now, as a reader, that to me is a dead giveaway that it's probably bullshit. Right now, unlike your style of, of, of reporting, you know, very carefully put together, heavily referenced, you know, whether it's, you know, you guys in the gray zone or Whitney Webb or on unlimited hangout or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's almost excessively long form because you, you're packing it in there, the justifications for your position. Yeah. So. As a journalist, am I right, in your opinion, as a reader, to treat with contempt journalism of this assertive <laughs> nature? Or is there something else going on that, that, that you know, you would say, no, you can't discount all of it on that basis? Well, I mean, you know, I think it's fair to say I'm open to all of this being true. So I'm open to the possibility that what you claim are Russian bots are actually Russian bots. Maybe it's true. But the point is, show me the evidence. And there's yeah. none. I mean, you know, all they do is cite this group that I mentioned before called Advanced Democracy, call them nonpartisan and leave it at that and say we're supposed to trust them. But meanwhile, they're actually a heavily partisan group that, you know, is based in uh, Virginia and uh, is has been doing involved in doing disinformation, uh, for example, by hiring Christopher Steele, author of the most consequential piece of disinformation um, in many years, it's called the Steel dossier, and 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 they want us to trust all that and take it on faith. And that's been in RussiaGate. It's that's been the attitude that's been cemented that we're supposed to just take on faith what the intelligence community says. And it's been a good because Trump was used as the, you know because Trump was like the boogeyman. He was the ostensible foe. It's been a good way for uh, people in the national security state and those who identify with their agenda to sort of like reverse the impact of the Iraq war because the Iraq war taught Democrats that, you know, you can't just trust something that the CIA says, because that was basically all fabricated to make the case for invading Iraq. And that really cemented a skepticism of intelligence agencies. And that was uh, bolstered even more when Edward Snowden happened and Julian Assange happened and Chelsea Manning and all these disclosures came out. So Russiagate by using Trump as the sort of boogeyman, by saying that, you know, if you want to take him down, you have to just trust us and believe everything we say, has been very successful at getting Democrats back on board, which is taking at face value, taking on faith evidence-free claims, as long as they come from intelligence agencies or, or people uh, concerned with combating so-called Russian disinformation. Okay, very quickly, do you feel that as a journalist, though, that there's there's a role of, of, of the mainstream press now that basically seems. For me, so I'm going to have to move on, but thank you for the call. Thank you.
Okay. Song. Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, thanks for all the work, Aaron. I think you've done an amazing job of expo exposing the uh, warmongers who consistently manipulate us uh, into conflicts. And and I think uh, this Ukraine crisis, you've been one of the uh, few people really telling it as it was. I have a question for you, um, seeing as you've, you know, you've gone in really deep in a lot of these conflicts. I agree with you on Syria, too. Um, I mean, if we're if we're always re removing the presumption of innocence when it comes to Russia, like, for example, every conspiracy theory under the sun uh, is acceptable in the mainstream uh, as long as it's being done by Russia. Uh, the, the conspiracy theory smear is only used for people investigating JFK and all that stuff. And for some reason, they don't realize that the WMD lie from the military industrial media intelligence complex was clearly a conspiracy to uh, manipulate us into war. Now, what evidence do we have that Russia has lied um, in the last 20 years under Putin in comparison to all the Western lies like WNDs, et cetera, et cetera? I would totally understand if Russia and many other foreign nations doubt um, the, the narratives from my establishment, whether it's, you know, the Brennans and Clappers who lied about the Hunter Biden laptop or whether it was, you know, all the, you know, the, the heads of state telling us about the WMDs. So what can we prove that Russia has lied about in the last 20 years? Well, I mean, look, take take the Ukraine invasion before that happened, the weeks up to uh, leading up to it, the months leading up to it. Russia was saying they have no plans to invade, that they're not going to invade. No. Now, Putin also did threaten a what he called a uh, what was it? A military technical uh, solution. So there was a military threat there, but it's very vague. And they did deny that they were planning to invade, which now it is said that Putin apparently made a very last minute decision to invade that was reported by the um, in a few places, including The Intercept by Jim by Jim Risen, who has sources in the CIA. Um, but I think it's fair to call that a lie because I, I think um, they could have been a lot more forthright about their intentions to invade than they were. So I, I think that's uh, an could, example. Could they though? I mean, I guess if you're going to prepare your enemy, you're, you're going to have a lot bigger battle on your hands, right? Because then NATO are going to start. Because I guess the way the Russian perspective, the way they see it over there, and the reason why Putin is seen as a hero to many Russians, but not all, of course. But even Bloomberg uh, reported that he had a 83% approval rating now. Um, was that they viewed this particular conflict as um, as a, the, the least of the worst options in that if Ukraine was fast-tracked into NATO, it would have essentially triggered World War III, especially with far-right nationalists on the border, which have done a great job of covering, you know, who've always called for a war against Russia. And even Sky News reported that with um, Ross Kemp when he went to, that was in 2014 after the coup. So the far-right nationalists, who some of them wear swastikas and stuff, they, they've wanted that war with Russia. One of them even said, our future is a war with Russia. Now, yeah, that's true. Can, yeah, go ahead. I, no, that's true. And also, you know what, and, and uh, I, I should say, to be fair to Russia, there, there was something that doesn't get reported very much. Uh, and actually, I, I still haven't written about it because I just haven't had the chance. But right before the invasion, well, first of all, I mean, what's known is that Zelensky rejected at the last minute uh, a proposal from Germany to accept neutrality in exchange right. for, for security guarantees. So there's that. But also, uh, there was a lot of uh, artillery firings by Ukraine onto the rebel side right before Russia invaded. A massive increase, yep. like going up to the thousands uh, of strikes. And 
you know, there are some military experts who, who will say, and I'm not in a position to judge this because I'm not a military expert, that when you have that much artillery fire over, over you know, over that many days, that's a sign that the f- army firing all, all these shells is preparing for a ground assault. So basically the argument is that Ukraine in firing all these uh, uh, shells into uh, the uh, Donbass region was preparing for a ground assault. And so Russia was acting and when invaded to to defend them. Now, I'm yeah. not I'm not in a position to, to to judge that claim, but that is the claim. Well, it's it's it, you know that it's viewed as a provocation by Russia. And what's interesting is you know if you look at what happened in Danzig or Gdansk and the claims by uh, Hitler that they were being provoked into a war by the Germans being slaughtered in what was then called Danzig. And then he wrote to the League of Nations a few times. And then, you know, and he even said we we're being provoked by these international war profiteers and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, he knew that it was going to mean uh, World War Two. Uh, and the, I think the concern for a lot of us, I'm from Sri Lanka. I'm, I'm a Buddhist, actually. I've got no horse in this race other than I don't want a world war to happen. And I think the way the Russians view it is that um, this conflict happening now was uh, better than what would have happened further down the road if Ukraine was taken into NATO, and then it would have literally triggered World War Three. Um, that that was the fear yeah, that, that the Russians yeah. had. Yeah, yeah. No, I got so that. So, have they lied I, about anything yeah. other than Ukraine? That this particular. Well, look, I'm sure they have. Like, I'm sure internally, um, you know, like a Russian dissident would be able to point to many Russian government lies. Um, I, I've the, never been the to geopolitical stage. On the geopolitical side, no. On the, uh, on the geopolitical stage, no. I, I think. Uh, uh, the amount of co- lies told by the U.S., uh, you know, Deep far, out, far, like far, far, uh, far exceeds Outrated. anybody else. I, in, in fact, combined, I would say, I, I, I'd say the rest of the world combined doesn't match the U.S. Yeah, well, the regime change wars are, weren't really Russia behind them in the last 20 years, have they been? No, so... exactly. Exactly. I mean, like the lies the U.S. has told, I mean, like just go through the list, Iraq WMDs. And said, I'm working with Al Qaeda. That's a lie. And that was that led to the disaster in Iraq. Libya, you know, Libya. Uh, Gaddafi, Gaddafi was going to commit a massacre in Benghazi. He was distributing Viagra to his troops to commit mass rapes. That led to the destruction yeah. of Libya. Uh, Syria, you know, um, Assad was waging a war of extermination against his own people, putting down a peaceful uprising, uh, using chemical weapons. We know all those things are lies. And that, now Syria is in ruins. So, the lot the in terms of consequential lies n- nobody matches the u.s nobody yeah absolutely uh, and thank you for your work exposing that but how do we stop i mean i guess this if the russians wanted to do a regime change they probably could have done and they could have you know but this i think was um it, it's probably going to lead to ukraine being landlocked which is going to be effectively a regime change i mean the the key that a lot of people missed i think in my analysis of this is that Zelensky was not going to win another election. He had even Vox reported that he had only 24% approval rating when none of the so-called anti-oligarch reforms actually, you know, materialized in anything. And of course, we know that his backer, Kolomoisky, has been accused of uh, stealing 5.8 billion from the biggest bank or private bank, which he co-owned with someone, right, shortly after the coup. So we know that under the, the, the wartime powers, Zelensky could not only prosecute his and jail his opponents, uh, like he did with Medvedchuk, but he also um, uh, took all the control of the media and shut the opposition media that was trying to prosecute him and Kolomoisky, etc. Um, he he basically purged all of his opponents, including 
the neo-Nazis who had threatened the coup. And he went a few a uh, few weeks before um, um, Russia invaded. A lot of people don't realize this. I think it was February 24th that they invaded. But on the February 16th, the Ukrainian parliament banned anti-Semitism. And he'd actually gone on TV and said that uh, there was a plot to coup him. Now, The Guardian had actually, um, uh, which is obviously not pro-Russian media, had actually run a piece about the neo-Nazis that were empowered after the coup. And they were saying that they even called Putin a Jew. And they said that um, they want another uh, coup in uh, Ukraine to take over and establish a military dictator. This is the far right sort of neo-Nazis. Yeah. And they also were threatening Zelensky with a coup if he made peace with Russia. So Exactly. So his only solution, therefore, was... If when the war happened, Zelensky benefited in multiple ways. He obviously now the neo Nazis aren't going to coup him. They're actually getting what they want and fighting Russia, and they're pretty much, and they're dying. And and as and he had no chance of eliminating them because after the, uh, the twenty fourteen coup, they actually power in many organs of the state, as you know, even the police force and things like that. So yeah. Zelensky had a lot to benefit. And if you've seen what uh, what's his name, um, the uh, the advisor, his advisor. I can't remember his name. He's saying that they were going to, uh, they weren't going to uh, de-escalate the conflict in Donbass. Instead, it was going to lead to uh, Russia invading in 2022. I don't know if you saw that particular clip, but it, you had. I remember if he said. I remember him saying that 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 war is inevitable. Um, yes. And, that, uh, and, and they've also talked about using the Minsk Accords not as any means to actually make peace, but just using it to stall for time to prepare for war. Um, That's right. Thank you for yeah. the call. Thank you for the call. No, uh, we're going to take you. some more just to make, get everybody in. All right. Yep. Rodrigo. Um, what are your thoughts on the, the mainstream media pushing that the Durham investigation is ending with, like, you know, basically Trump disappointed? And I also saw that you shared an article on Twitter saying that Trump at the last minute decided not to declassify very important docs related to Russiagate. Um, I was curious, do you think that without Trump in office, like, we'll ever get to see those documents? Um, and I was curious, I guess, which documents in particular were you, did you want to see? Right. Okay, so the New York Times reported this week that uh, John Durham, who's been leading a probe into the origins of Russiagate and the conduct of the intelligence officials who began it, is winding down his probe, is not expected to bring any more indictments, and will issue a report by the end of the year. And uh, look, I, on the one hand, I'm not surprised because, look, it's very hard to indict intelligence officials, uh, especially the powerful ones behind Russiagate, like John Brennan, who's the head of the CIA. Right. If you're going to indict, if you're going to indict the head of the CIA, you need a really, really something extremely criminal. Uh, because um, that is a that is a seismic thing to do, and um, jo- and the head of the CIA knows a lot of secrets, and can really hurt a lot a lot of people. <laughs> so the idea that there was going to be accountability like that in terms of the, in terms of criminal charges, I never really uh, gave much uh, weight to. The question though is whether Durham will write an accurate report, um, and whether the public will be allowed to see it. Back when Mueller was doing his report, there was, remember, there's like weeks and weeks of controversy. People were demanding that the full report be released. And and the conspiracy theory was that Trump was going to hide, Trump and Barr were going to hide the damning evidence of collusion behind redactions. And, uh, you know, 
I think the same concern actually should apply to Durham. I, I wonder if Durham writes actually an accurate report um, that really gets into what happened. I wonder if he'll be allowed to release it because inevitably it will be embarrassing for Democrats. And uh, I suspect it will be redacted. And I, I but th- at the same time, I'm also not sure that Durham really is going where he needs to go. He should have built cases so far in, in the in the three ca- in the three cases he's brought. But they they've all sort of had this theory that the FBI was fooled by the Clinton campaign, that that the Clinton campaign sort of duped the FBI into investigating Trump uh, for having a, clue, a conspiracy with Russia. When in, in fact the FBI was in on it the entire time. It's very clear. It's clear from everything, everything, everything that's come out so far. The FBI was totally in on the Clinton campaign scam. And so, you know, look, Durham's in a tough position. It's hard to go after the national security state. You can go after um, people like Michael Flynn, which, which is what happened under Trump, because Flynn, people in the national security state hate Flynn, uh, both because he's really erratic and says crazy things, but also because he did some good things. Like when he was at the Pentagon heading the DIA, he exposed that the U.S. was supplying sectarian death squads in Syria and warned against it uh, in warnings that proved to be completely correct. So he's hated for a lot of those reasons. So people like that, they're OK. But the established bureaucrats, the people behind Russiagate, it, they're they're pretty untouchable. And so in terms of what I want to see document wise, there's a lot. Mainly, I've been trying to get the documents from CrowdStrike which really kicked off Russiagate by generating the claim that Russia hacked the DNC. And they did so while working for the Clinton campaign. And somehow the FBI relied on a firm hired by the Clinton campaign, not only for the collusion, allega- the, the, the collusion uh, angle, which was you know put out by Christopher Steele, a Clinton contractor, but also the Russian hacking allegation, which was CrowdStrike. And somehow, six years later, the public has never seen CrowdStrike's reports that they submitted to the FBI, uh, even though CrowdStrike admitted under oath that they had no evidence actually for Russian hacking, as I've written about. So I'd love to see those reports, and I'd love to see a report that was done by the House Intelligence Committee back when it was run by Devin Nunes and Cash Patel, who's now in the news now because he uh, you know, is implicated in the whole Trump document scandal. He wrote a report that has been kept under wraps that Trump wanted to release, but a bunch of officials convinced them not to, which found what the report called significant tradecraft failings in how U.S. intelligence went about investigating uh, alleged Russian interference. And I and based on what's been released about that report, I think it shows that all these claims made about Russian interference were based on supposition and even um, and even and even just false. So I'd love to read that report, but. It's it's be, it's been kept under lock and key in the CIA. It's literally inside a locker inside the CIA. And I don't think we will ever see it, um, whether Trump becomes president or not, because uh, Trump got intimidated by by the national security state. There's no doubt about that. He could have released all this stuff, but he didn't. And to me, that's because he was intimidated. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And, and the last thing then is, so uh, the Steele dossier, did you believe that did play a role in the opening of the Russia investigation? Because I know... Reading the major media, they keep stressing that it did not play a role. Have you read the article that, that I wrote about that? Um, I might have. Okay, I will, I'll post a link to it right now in, in the chat. I wrote a whole article about this um, earlier this year, I think, uh, where 
you know, look, I can't prove for sure that the Russia investigation was open based on the Steele dossier. What I can prove, though, is that the FBI got the Steele dossier before they officially opened the Russia investigation. And their stated pretext for why they opened the Russia investigation is a joke. It's completely thin. It makes no sense. So I think there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that says that the Steele dossier was a major factor in opening the Russia investigation. I just can't prove it. But um, I lay out the evidence pointing to why I think that is. And I will, if I can find the link. Uh, here it is. Yeah, I will post it. Um, uh, I'm posting it in the chat right now. Okay. And thanks for the call. Great. Thank you. Uh, let's see here. And I'll, I'll post it in the show notes for this episode too. All right. Hi. Hi there. Um, I'm super curious about something. I And you may not know off the top of your head, but um, this is just something I was under the impression of. And I can't tell you where I got it from. But uh, I find this whole thing hilariously ironic because if um, if I'm correct, the the whole reason women got the right to vote in 1920 was because the U.S. government was afraid of the of a possible communist revolution in this country. Do you know anything about the history of that? Uh, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, certainly, I know that things like the New Deal were influenced by fear of a communist revolution that like, you know, um, that like, you know, Roosevelt went to the, went to the elite and said, look, if you don't give people, you know, certain basics, Some of your money, they're going to take it all. Right? Yeah. 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 So that makes sense. That makes total sense. Yeah. And, and like I said, I have no reference for it. And of course, you know, Russia is just as patriarchal as the rest of the world, but they definitely treat their women as very respected, you know, members of their comrades, you know, they're equal. So I, I just I think that's hilarious that, you know, the, the U.S. is trying to claim that Russia has that kind of influence. It's ridiculous. But awesome. Awesome. Uh, thank you for bringing this to everybody's attention. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. And, you know, I don't know what it's like in Russia internally. I've never been there. And, you know, um, I can't speak to it, but the I, I agree. The idea of, of blaming Russia for uniquely American dysfunctions is such a joke and it's gone on for six years and it's like, they're not going to stop until they've gotten through every single issue that like possibly upsets coastal liberals. Uh, they're going to find a way to blame Russia. I think that's what it comes down to. It's a never ending series uh, called Russia gate. All right, Jed. Hey, Aaron, how's it going, man? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Hey, so uh, this might seem like it's a little bit out, out of left field, but um, <laughs> I, uh, I saw, actually, I think I saw it on like, uh, Joe Rogan's Instagram this morning, but China, you know, while everybody's doing all this fighting and the U.S. is fighting over oil everywhere, uh, China's been on the moon. And um, there's, have you ever heard of uh, helium three? I have not. No. So it used to be like a science fiction kind of a thing, like you know, this particle. It's it's a real thing. It's found on the Earth, but in like very very small traces. And people kind of propose that it could replace nuclear energy. And it's, um, you know, when they burn it, like whatever the refuse is, is actually clean and useful. Um, so I think it just happened. Like they just published these articles. But China found the sixth new mineral, I think, from their lunar mission. Like they came back and scooped up stuff off of the dark side of the moon. So, all right. So hypothetically, I know this is like crazy, totally different 
uh, <laughs> it's probably a little bit weird, but um, you know, China, Russia, is there, there, Iran, you know, they, there is a sort of an alliance there. What if all of a sudden China comes out with a clean energy that can power the earth for like thousands of years? What happens to the world overnight? And what happens to us? Uh, well, what do you think? I think, I don't think they would hoard it. Like if it's really as powerful as people think it is, I think the earth would kind of enter a new age because all these wars are essentially fought over energy, right? In many ways. Yeah. 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 Well, um, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not in a position to predict something like that, but I certainly hope that uh, if it bears out, then that China will share and it will help solve all our problems. That'd be great. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And of course, I mean, human nature is not going to change. No, um, and I'm not, I'm not like trolling or anything. And I, it's, I find it fascinating. And um, I think we're going to find out that all the stuff we're doing, try and bully everybody else in the world is uh it's gonna backfire at some point pretty bad. well i think it's already happening let's hope for that for sure thank you jeff yeah okay thanks man ian hello heather all right i'm still here um yeah so earlier on i think kind of ivan sort of beat me to the punch but talking about the uh the whole russian bot situation i mean like there's obviously we have like counterexamples like the NAFO dogs. And I mean, you like you, you remember like all the Guido trolls and even with the Bolivia coup, like all these guys that just kind of popped out on Twitter, Twitter, like I'm a Bolivian and Evo Morales has to go like, you know, like we've all seen that. And the, the kind of weird implication about, Russian bots or any kind of Russian influence is that there's this vacuum of propaganda or, or, you know, digital influence. Like Russia has this huge wide open lane and it only takes a few thousand dollars to like, you know, change the entire public discourse. And what the unsaid thing is in, in reality, you know, we're actually saturated with interference in propaganda, like, like up to our eyeballs, you know, not just with, you know, obvious, like, you know, public, private, or like government um, programs, but even like the advertising industry, like this is an immensely like saturated propaganda society. And it just seems bonkers. Like, I'm not sure if I've ever seen a Russian bot or Russian troll, like ever, like maybe, you know, some of these, some of these like Operation Z fans or whatever, like, and some of them, maybe they're fake, but like, really, but like I, off the top of my head, I can think of so many times that I've come across like American or, or NATO propaganda. Like, I, it's just a very strange thing, you know, that like, we're kind of like, as a society focused on a, like a point, like a fraction of a percentage points of the actual propaganda out 